Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Good to be with you. Well, please open with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're currently in our series called Grace and Truth, which has been our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through this amazing book. We're getting towards the end, but we still got several studies left to go. So today we're in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Would you please bow your heads with me? And let's pray as we open God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you're God who loves us and desires to speak to us. And Lord, we come now with expectant hearts, Lord, expecting and ready to receive what you have in your Word for us this morning to encourage us, to instruct us, and to shape and guide our thoughts, our hearts, and our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive everything that you have for us from this Scripture this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes when somebody's thinking about doing something that's maybe risky or even reckless, right? Some people will often encourage them to do it by saying, hey, you only live once. You should definitely quit your job. You should definitely buy that thing you can't afford because, hey, bro, you only live once, right? Like you should take that trip. You should do all the things. Now, sometimes that's a good message, right? Because some people... Uh, spend their lives not doing anything and that maybe they should do more things, right? Maybe they need to be encouraged that, hey, you know, you've only got one shot at this. Why don't you do some more things, right? Nobody's going to get to the end of their life and say, you know, I really wish I would have spent more time just doom scrolling on Instagram or whatever it is that they do all night long, right? Nobody's going to be like, I I wish I would have spent less time with my family doing cool things and more time, you know, sitting in my office reading articles, Uh, you know, so for some people that can be a good encouragement, you know, hey, you only live once, get out there, do some stuff. But here's what I've noticed. This seems like weird advice, right? Like you only live once, therefore you should do this. And here's why it's weird advice, because you can also take that same logic and go the other direction, right? You can apply it in the exact opposite way with the same words, right? So you could say, hey, you only live once, so don't take any risks at all, right? Like don't Don't risk anything. Like, all you've got is one chance at this. Make sure you get some extra locks on your door. Don't fly on airplanes. Don't drive in cars. They could break. Don't take the stairs because you could fall, right? Like, don't spend your money. You might need it at some point. Just watch out for everything and lock yourself in your house and don't do anything because you only live once. So don't take any risks because you don't want to mess this thing up, right? You've only got one shot at it. So be as careful as possible, right? So it can kind of go both ways. Another thing about this kind of you only live once mentality that I've noticed is that a lot of people, they take it and it makes, it makes them act selfishly. So they'll be like, hey, you only live once. I've literally, you know, counseled and met with people who say, I'm leaving my spouse. I'm leaving my family because you only live once. I don't want to spend it with these losers. I want to go do some fun things. Taking care of other people. No way, man. You only live once. I want to go do some stuff for myself. You know, sometimes people who have this you-only-live-once mentality are unwilling to be generous or unwilling to share their time or their money with other people because they'll say to themselves, since this life is all I've got and you only live once, I don't want to waste my time and my money on other people. I don't want to spend my things on ways that don't benefit me. But you know, as Christians, we have something which sets us free 
from the selfishness of this kind of thinking and which sets us free from fear, fears of all kinds, the fear of missing out and the fear of messing up. What we have as Christians that sets us free is we have the hope and the expectation of the resurrection. And as we're going to see in our passage today in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 34, what we're going to see is that when you have the hope of the resurrection, not only does it set you free, it also empowers you. It empowers you to be generous, to be thoughtful, to, to step out and take risks, not from a fear of missing out, but because the hope of the resurrection means that it's okay to try something even if you fail because this life is not all there is. You see, because this life is not all there is, because of the resurrection, this life, you know what it's like? It's like the preface to the true story that is being written. And so our belief in the resurrection is not only that Jesus resurrected, but we believe that Jesus' resurrection has specific meaning and significance for our lives as well, here and now. And that's what we're going to talk about today in these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The title of today's message is, What Jesus' Resurrection Means for You. And our summary sentence this week, here's what we're going to see in this passage. Every week I give you a summary sentence, takeaway truth. I'd love it if you'd write it down. This is going to be our outline for studying this passage. We'll break it down and use it to go through the passage. But it's a kind of standalone summary sentence. So I'd love it if you'd take a picture of it, write it in your notes. And, you know, as you do that each week, you're going to look back someday and you're going to have this record of all the things we've studied in each passage. It'll be cool. So here is the summary sentence, our outline for this week. The fact that Jesus resurrected means that in him there is hope for us beyond the grave, and this hope alone gives meaning and direction to our lives. One more time. The fact that Jesus resurrected means that in him there is hope for us beyond the grave, and this hope alone gives meaning and direction to our lives. So let's take that sentence and break it down as we study our passage today. First part, the fact that Jesus resurrected. The section begins in verse 12 where it says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. So in the previous verses in this chapter, which we studied last week, Paul laid out the case for why you can be absolutely sure that Jesus did, in fact, resurrect from the dead. He pointed us to, in those previous verses, he pointed us to the scriptural evidence. He pointed us also to the eyewitness evidence. And Paul explained to us that Jesus' resurrection, it is not a tertiary truth. It is not a secondary doctrine. It is not an optional thing. Rather, the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely essential. It's an essential element to the gospel. The gospel being that message of the good news of what Jesus has done to save us. In other words, what Paul would say is, you cannot preach the gospel without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no good news of salvation in Jesus. You see, if Jesus had merely lived a good life and then died, that would not be good news for you and me. Even if, let's take it a step further, even if Jesus had died for your sins, but he wasn't resurrected, that too would not be good news for us either. See, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Now, why is that? Now, somebody might push back against that and say, look, even if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, like literally, right, that wouldn't take away from the fact that he was a great teacher and a wonderful example, and he lived a good life, 
and he touched a lot of people, and he died as a martyr, so they might say, a martyr for peace and love. Now, some people might, might, again, go one step further and say, well, if Jesus atoned for our sins through his death, isn't that enough? Why is it necessary that he resurrected physically and literally from the dead? Now, Paul's going to answer that question here in this section, but first, you need to understand the context Right? What's going on here? Why is Paul writing these things in this letter, in this place? Why is Paul writing the Corinthians about Jesus' resurrection? Is it because the Corinthian Christians did not believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead? No, that's not why. They did. Look at verse 11, the verse right before this. He's talking about Jesus' resurrection, and he says, This is what we preach and this is what you believed. So the Corinthian Christians did believe that Jesus resurrected. So why is Paul bringing this up? Why is he making this big argument for how they can be sure that Jesus actually resurrected? Well, the reason becomes clear as we read the rest of the verse there in verse 12. So let's read the whole thing this time. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, there were some people who are going around saying that there is no resurrection. What we would put in our terms today, they were saying there's no such thing as life after death. They're saying once you die, that's it, right? Game over. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, right? You're done. It's uh, done and dusted, lights out forever. So in their opinion, what is Christianity about? Well, they would say Christianity, you know, is a, a set of great principles that can help you to live a good life. But when it comes to talking about heaven and hell, or life after death, or being reunited with those who have passed away, they would say, nah, you know, that's fairy tale stuff that's going a little bit too far. There's no such thing as life after death. We're cool with following Jesus. We just don't believe there's anything after this life. <clears throat> now, most likely, those who held this opinion had been influenced either by Greek philosophy or by some Jewish groups who did not believe in the resurrection or in life after death. One of these groups, the most famous of these groups, was called the Sadducees. See, the Sadducees were a group in Judaism at that time who were what we would call theologically liberal. And here's what that means. They didn't believe that the Bible was completely uh, inspired by God. They believed some parts were inspired by God, but other parts weren't. And they didn't believe in anything supernatural, right? So they didn't believe in miracles. Um, and therefore, they believed that when you die, that's it. There's nothing else. No heaven, no hell, no life after death. And that's why, you ready for a really bad joke? That's why they were sad, you see. See? See, I don't even, I, I feel bad about myself saying that joke. Like, I said it in the first service, and I said, I'm not going to tell this to the second service, because that is just a terrible joke. And then a bunch of people came up and said, I love that joke, which is crazy, because sometimes I think I have some okay jokes that people don't like, and then they like this one. I don't know. Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities? Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? 
I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. All right, listen. For the Sadducees, being Jewish was all about national identity and trying to be a good person and living a good life here and now because in their view, this is all there is, this life. There's nothing after this. Now, they were also perhaps influenced by some forms or strands of Greek philosophy that were popular at this time. There were some influential branches of Greek philosophy at this time which viewed your body, your physical body, as a prison in which your soul was trapped until you die. And then when you die, right, your soul is released from the prison of your body and goes on existing forever, kind of just floating around in the ether as a disembodied spirit. So for them, the idea that you would be resurrected in a new physical body, they would say, that's, that's crazy talk. Why would anybody want that? The body's a prison for your soul. And so because of all these influences, some of the Corinthian Christians had come to believe, and they were teaching others, that when you die, that's it. This life is all there is. You know, they might say, Jesus taught some good things. He died for our sins. But there's no such thing as life after death. That's what they were going around teaching. But Paul says, hey, no, no, no. Wait a second. You believe, do you not, that Jesus resurrected from the dead? And they would have said, yeah, we believe that. And Paul said, in a literal, physical, glorified body. And they said, yeah, yeah, right. And, and Paul said, and, and furthermore, you know that the Old Testament scriptures teach the resurrection of the dead. And you know that Jesus himself talked a lot about the resurrection from the dead and eternal life, life after death. And so he said, so how can you say that there's no life after death? Where are you getting this from? So by reminding the, Christian, the Corinthian Christians about the evidence that Jesus really, truly resurrected, Paul is wanting to explain to help them understand that there is indeed life after death and what we should do to prepare ourselves for it. So that brings us to the second part of our sentence. The fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead, from the resurrected, here's what it means. It means that in him there is hope for us beyond the grave. Now from verses 13 to 19, Paul is going to tell us what is at stake. Like, why is it actually important that the resurrection really happened? Right? What is at stake if it didn't happen? And so he's going to essentially say in these verses, okay, just for the sake of argument, let's say, what if there is no life after death? What if there is no resurrection of the dead? And he's going to give us a list of the implications if that's true. First, he says in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if there is no life after death, then Jesus must not have really resurrected. But if Jesus was resurrected, then there's proof and there is a precedent that there is, in fact, such a thing as life after death. But let's continue with his logic. So verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain because, now go down to verse 17, 
If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Jesus' resurrection matters for several reasons. Here's one of them. It is the proof that Jesus really is who he claimed to be that he really is the Messiah, that he really is God come to us in human flesh to do for us what we could not do for ourselves to save us and redeem us. You know, during his years of ministry, on multiple occasions, people would ask Jesus, Jesus, how can we know for sure that you really are who you say you are? I mean, you make all these amazing claims, right? That you're the door through which people must pass to go to God, right? That you are the good shepherd, right? That you, that before Abraham was, you were. By the way, did you know our next series we're going to do after this? It's going to be a series looking at Jesus' claims about himself in the Gospel of John. It says, listen, so Jesus made all these amazing claims. How can we know for sure that he really is the Messiah, that he really is God come to earth in human flesh? Jesus said, well, I'll give you one sign, and here's what it is. One day, I'm going to die. And when I die, set your clock, because three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to resurrect. And so that's pretty specific, right? Pretty verifiable. So if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then either he was wrong, or he was lying and he knew it. But either way, it would mean that Jesus is no different than anyone else who's ever lived and then died. And... If that's the case, we don't need to believe his claim that he's the Messiah. Because if Jesus was defeated by death, if death defeated Jesus, then Jesus isn't God. And if Jesus isn't God, he's not able to save us from our sins. And if he's not able to save us from our sins, then we still stand condemned, subject to judgment, and we have no hope. Furthermore, verse 15, we are to be found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then the apostles are all liars, and everybody who follows Jesus is a fool. Because, Paul says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no hope beyond the grave, then Christians are fools. Because to follow Jesus, you know what it involves? Jesus said, Take up your cross and follow me. To follow Jesus involves laying down your life, giving up your own desires, giving over control of your life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. It involves things like enduring suffering, enduring offense in order to build up the body of Christ, in order to carry out Christ's mission in the world. And the reward for this, even Jesus told us, will not be given to us in this life. So if there is no life after death, if this is all there is and there's nothing after it, we are pitiable fools, sacrificing our lives for nothing, when instead we could be carrying on for our own immediate pleasures rather than living for heavenly rewards. And yet, Paul says in verse 20, that is not the case because, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't just an isolated event, right? It isn't just good for him, he defeated death, and that's it, right? It's just something he did. No, no Jesus' resurrection was not an isolated event. Rather, it was the beginning of something much bigger. Paul refers to it as the first fruits like in a garden or in a farmer's field. It, you plant your seeds and you wait. 
And then we, the first fruits are the, is that first batch of produce that is produced. And those first fruits, you know what they are? They're not a sign that the harvest is over and there won't be anything else. No, no, the first fruits are the sign that the harvest is just about to begin, that the harvest is just around the corner, and there's a lot more like this on the way. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't just his own personal triumph over death. His resurrection was a preview of coming attractions. It was a sign of what is to come. So just as Jesus resurrected to new life in a physical, glorified body, so we too will be resurrected to new life in physical, glorified bodies. Look at verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as Adam was our forerunner, the pioneer who went before us and paved the way for us to follow, the only problem is all of us have followed in the way that he paved, and that way has led to sin, death, and destruction. But now we have Jesus our new pioneer, paving a different way for us. He has gone before us and paved the way for resurrection and new life, eternal life. Now, both Adam and Jesus were representatives, is what this verse is saying. They were representatives whose actions had implications for all those who came after them. Now, we are in Adam by nature. We, we are born into connection with Adam. But in order to be born into connection with Jesus, you have to be born again. In order to be in Christ, you have to be born again. Notice what it says in verse 22. In Christ shall all be made alive. Now, this is an interesting verse, verse 22, because some people look at this and they say, wait, wait a second. So is logically it's saying that just as Adam's actions had implications which affected all people universally, then does that mean that Jesus' actions also had universal application? Meaning that just as in Adam, all people came under condemnation, in the same way because of Jesus' actions, therefore all people, whether they want it or not, will be redeemed and raised up to new life. Well, the answer is no. That's not what this is saying. But it does mean this. See, here's the thing you do need to know. Everyone will be resurrected but not everyone will be resurrected to eternal life. So if you look at John chapter 5, verse 29, Jesus is speaking there, and he says, everyone will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected to the resurrection uh, to life, and others will be resurrected to the resurrection to judgment. In the book of Acts, for chapter 24, we read about the resurrection, how there will be a resurrection of all people, both the unjust and the just. So all people who have ever lived will be resurrected to stand before God on Judgment Day. The question is whether you will be resurrected to eternal life or to judgment. In other words, no matter who you are, at the end of this life, it is not the end of you. When your life here on earth, your physical body dies, that is not the end of you, no matter who you are. All of us will stand before God to give an account of what we did with our lives. The difference is that those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus and what he did for you to save you, if that's you, then when you stand before God, you know what you will have? You will have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right, who has given his righteousness to you. It's been imputed to you, paid to your account 
because of your faith and trust, your reception of his grace. And so you will have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, on that day when you stand before God. On the other hand, those who have not put their faith in Jesus, they will stand before God on their own, without an advocate, on the day of judgment. Which is why I would plead with, I would plead with anyone who isn't sure where they're at with God, that today you can know, right? You can settle that issue in your heart and your mind. You can put that to rest. You can put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and through him be reconciled to God, forgiven and declared righteous with a righteousness that is not your own by your own works, by your own doing, but one which comes through faith in him. So all will be resurrected, some to eternal life, some to judgment. So we need to make sure that we're ready for that. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 